Welcome to the Parlay Podcast, a thought-provoking and entertaining podcast that breaks down the pathology of speech, language, and other processes that affect the way we communicate on a daily basis. Professor of Speech and Language Pathology, Chantal Mayer-Crittenden, hosts a bevy of guests who help her explore and explain the diverse landscape of speech, language, and their relationship with the brain. Hi, everyone. This is Chantal Mayer Crittenden, the host of the Parley Podcast. I am very excited to have this episode on the science of reading. Uh, it is a topic that I'm very, very passionate about, but a topic that I haven't really had the opportunity to discuss on this podcast. So with the school year just starting, I think it's a great time to jump into this topic. I have two guests here with me today. Um, there is one third that cannot be here because she, also, she is on maternity leave, but I do have Julie McDermott and April Hackett with me today. And uh, we don't have Tiffany Kelsey, but she is a part of this group. And so I first heard about uh, these three speech and language pathologists who work in a school board through a course that I took uh, through the Ontario Association of Speech Language Pathologists and Audiologists called Advanced Literacy Practice. Um, I definitely recommend it if it comes up again this year. Actually, what am I saying? It is offered. Um, November 20th until March, you can go on the OSLA website, osla.on.ca, for all the details on how to register. Uh, and it was just in discussing with some of the other speech and language pathologists in, in this course that I stumbled upon your Facebook page and uh, just became hooked. So I will turn it over to either Julie or April, maybe tell us a little bit more about yourself, um, you know, where you are, and maybe uh, touch a little bit on, on why you became interested about the science of reading and literacy in the school. Uh, I'll start. So I'm April Hackett. I'm a speech-language pathologist. I uh, studied at Dalhousie University in Halifax, where I'm from. I've been with my school board for 20 years now. It's my 21st September, back to school. And uh, so I've been in the school, working in the school board since uh, a few years after I started to practice. I started in school board. Um, it, you know, interestingly, I had a professor at Dalhousie University, Dr. Pat Cleave uh, and Dr. Mandy Rainingbird. They were both very involved in um, uh, research about phonemic awareness. So I had the opportunity to work with them both as um, an intern, a master's intern, a research assistant, and then um, completed my master's research in the area of phonemic awareness. So it's always been something that has been of interest to me and that I've um, put some focus on, but definitely not the amount of focus as we have the past two years. Wonderful. And just as you were talking, um, so on this podcast, I have listeners kind of from everywhere and, and any type of listener from parents to speech and language pathologists to teachers to university students. So just so that everybody is on the same wavelength, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about what phonemic awareness is? So phonemic awareness is your awareness of sounds within words knowing that words are made of sounds and it goes beyond that awareness to be able to manipulate sounds and words. So um, it can be on a very simple um, level, such as identifying a sound in a word, like the first sound in cat is k. And it can go to a more complex level where you're actually manipulating. So saying a word in reverse. So uh, the word zoo backward is ooze. So it's your ability to hear each of those speech sounds in the words be aware of them, and then to be able to manipulate them. Okay, perfect. Thank you for that. Uh, now, Julie, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, so my name is Julie McDermott. I am also a speech-language pathologist. I went to Western University in London, Ontario, did my master's degree there. Uh, this is my 12th school year. Um, so for me, uh, getting into the science of reading, has really just been over the last few years. Um, up until then, we were very focused on oral language. Our, our role, our job is really focused on oral language. And I 
really did not dive into the written code. I always thought, you know what, that is for the teachers. I'm going to leave it to the teachers. I'm focused on the oral language. As a speech language pathologist, as you know, we have many um, areas under our umbrella. So reading for me was just not on the radar. And it was really just about two years ago um, when Tiffany actually introduced us to um, Dr. Kilpatrick's book, Essentials, uh, Assessing preventing and overcoming reading difficulties, that I dived into this book and everything changed. All of a sudden, you know, we realized, wow, we know so much about that reading circuit already um, and how to help the students in our schools develop their reading circuits. So that's really what started us in on our journey. Yeah, and I think that for, for those of us who have been practicing for over a decade, um, you know, we weren't necessarily trained on working on reading with, with children in the school, school age. So uh, I know that the curriculum has changed quite a bit since then, and I'm very thankful for that. So uh, I think there are a lot of speech and language pathologists who haven't had the opportunity to, to get that, that training in um, the science of reading. So it, it is new for, for some who have been practicing for a while. Uh, but it is a lot. Like you said, we, we work a lot on oral language, on, on you know, in certain disciplines and in, in fluency and voice and swallowing and cognitive communication disorders. And so <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot to to take on. I know for uh, sorry, I know for me um, in, in my master's degree, we really didn't tap into to reading at all. And it was really when I started working with April, April opened my eyes to phonemic awareness. And we so we have been actually assessing for it four years since like day one of my career. I've, I've known the importance of it. Um, we, we've been assessing, we've been consulting about it, um, but it was really just the phonics part that opened our eyes and, and also the how important the phonemic awareness was. Mm-hmm. All of that coming together that we made this realization that, wow, we have a lot more to offer in terms of reading to, to our teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think Chantel, going back to what you said about you know, and Julie, about we have so much under our umbrella. It also depends on where you work and what you're given in terms of tasks. So in our school board, it was uh, in terms of um, assessing for any type of reading difficulty. Again, we were assessing for phonemic awareness and we were training teachers and we were doing our best, I think, um, by not stepping on anybody's toes. So it was our psychoeducational consultants who were tasked with assessing those younger kids. They would do not a full assessment for the younger kids, uh, you know, the grade two, say, um, but they would be looking into areas and, and they knew that it it shouldn't be them. It needed to be, like we all knew and the opportunity came. Um, there was just a change in administration and the day our new administrator started, we, like, we bombarded her and said, you have to give this to us. And that's what, allowed us to then make this such a big part of our job and our journey is that, um, I mean, I don't think she had a a hope of saying no to us. We were so persistent. So, (laughs) Well, yeah, kudos to you, because like you said, oftentimes it's just, oh, we've always done it this way. And and you kind of need sometimes a changeover in the administration to, to do things differently. So I'm glad that you had that window there to really push for that. Now, why is this so important? So one statistic that really stood out for me was that in Ontario, there's about 40% of the adult population who are not able to read and write at a level that allows them to use reading and writing at a a more advanced level in the workforce. So 40%, that's a lot of adults. Mm -hmm. And then another statistic that I find really interesting is that there's only actually 1% of people out there who will... Who, who, who would struggle no matter what we, we do to help them. They just have a, a learning disability and reading will always be difficult. So if that's only 1% of the population, then why do we have 40% of adults in Ontario, and this is also in other countries and in, you know, across Canada, that really can't read at a, a level um, that allows them to use reading and writing at a, you know, I don't want to say sophisticated, that's not the word I'm looking for, but just uh, daily and to use reading and writing professionally. And so the science of reading really taps into all of that. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about what is the science of reading? Why is this kind of a hot topic? It has been for the last two decades. 
um, but not a whole lot of people know about it. So I'll, I'll just let you dive right in. So the science of reading is it's the research behind how the brain learns to read. And this research, a lot of it has been out there. You know, the research on phonemic awareness is not new. It's not the last decade. It's decades old. Um, but I think one of the, the big things that happened is Dr. Kilpatrick brought this research and made it accessible for people. It was not accessible. It was in journals. Listen, after university, not a lot of people read those journals, those very scientific journals. And certainly teachers are not necessarily having access to journals, you know, through psychology, speech language pathology, neuroscience. And so it was this, this, you know, the research and the imaging that showed what's happening in the brain when kids are learning to read and what, what areas of the brain are working and are developed, need to be developed. And so when I think what one of the big, um, you know, one of the big uh, factors to, to bring this information to light was Kilpatrick, not only him, but definitely a lot him, bringing that research out and making it accessible so we can then take a look at, you know, the, the teaching practices uh, happening in Ontario, across the country, across the world, and, and see, do they even align with how the brain learns to read? And in fact, they didn't. When you speak to a lot of teachers, you hear that this is not taught in teacher's college. You know, they have a lot to learn in teacher's college and actually teaching children how to decode and how to encode, how to spell, is not part of what they're explicitly taught in teacher's college. So they come into their careers with this pretty big task of, you know, teaching children how to crack the written code and they don't have the tools to do it. And it certainly doesn't help that here in Ontario, the Ontario curriculum does not support the science of reading. So it doesn't support the use. You know, if you look at IEP goals and report cards, the way you write it, we're having to become really, um, and our teachers are having to be um, really inventive in how they report on their new teaching practices because things don't line up. I mean, we know that someday they will, but right now the Ontario curriculum, so that certainly to no fault of our teachers, if they've not been taught you know, the proper way to teach children how to read. It's certainly um, not their fault. They're, it's not happening in universities. It's not happening um, through, through other types of forms, which is, in fact, why we started our Facebook group uh, so we can move beyond our school board and, and help other educators get this information. Mm-hmm. And since we're on the topic, um, so the Facebook group, group that you're referring to is the Reading Brain, Thinking Critically About Reading Instruction. And I was just on there earlier, and you have close to 2,000 members. Um, and so these are teachers, uh, speech and language pathologists. So you do have to, I think, I forget what I had to do when I became a member, but you do have to ask to become a member. Yes. Um, but yes. there's a ton of information there. I know that you post mm -hmm. videos on uh, phonemic awareness and, and more. And so I do encourage any of the listeners who are interested in becoming a member to check it out. And by the way, all of the resources that we're talking about during this episode are going to be posted on the show notes of this episode at theparleypodcast.com, including the Kilpatrick book, the link to the Facebook uh, group, uh, and whatever else we will be talking about later on. Um, so did you want to talk to us a little bit about your, your Facebook group and, and what kind of content is there and what people can expect? Sure. So, oh, you go ahead, Julie. So our, our goal with the Facebook group, as April mentioned, is really to, to share the, the knowledge that we know about how students learn to read and to spell with, with teachers. We want to get it into classrooms. Sorry, April, I'll go for it. No. So like we, the past year and a half, again, we, we took advantage of the situation of being at home and we use that time to really educate our teachers and our, our administrators and anyone in our board who would listen. Uh, you know, we would do it at seven in the morning, at seven at night, whatever, whatever they wanted. If one person showed up, we would do a whole an hour and a half long presentation um, and we've seen seen the fruits of that labor, but we realize we have um, 
you know, people in the school boards, the adjacent school boards next to us asking for this information. And we, we realized that we were sort of the head of the game. And, but this is not a, a competition, right? This is having all of our little ones learning how to read. So um, one thing that's been, pre- I think, you know, the focus for Julie and Tiffany and myself is to give teachers this information and educators and administrators but it's also to help them think about what's happening. That's one of our big missions because we get a lot, and I'm sure Chantal, you belong to Facebook groups where people say, what about this program? What about this? What about this? And and that's not what we want for our teachers. And it's not what we want for our, um, you know, our, the members of our Facebook group. What we want for them is to be able to use this information that we're helping them learn and to figure out, does this make sense? Does it make sense? Because, you know, we don't know a lot of the programs they're talking about. We don't have access to them. So it's hard for us to make recommendations. But uh, if you're, you're better equipped, if you can just look at it critically and think, does that make sense with how I know the brain learns to read? Yeah, I like that. Just giving everybody the tools to think critically about these programs and to, you know, say, okay, I like this about this program, but maybe this we can put to the side, you know, there are some good things and, and some things that are not, um, aren't, aren't consistent with the research on the science of reading. So we talked a little bit about how the science of reading has demonstrated how the brain learns to read. Can you quickly maybe give us a little synopsis of, of what is it? What is the science? What's the, what's the secret? <laughs> what's the, the, the ingredients that are, are required for children to learn to read? So what it really comes down to is attaching letters and letter combinations to sounds to activate the meaning of the word. So when we're teaching kids to read and to spell, we really want them to have a good grasp, a good understanding of the sound system, be able to hear those sounds, manipulate the sounds, as April was mentioning with the phonemic awareness. And then we want to be able to teach them every way that we can spell each of those sounds. We want to tell, teach them each of the graphemes, the letters or letter combinations that we use to represent each of the English phonemes, the speech sounds. Yes, and, and you were also saying um, like to attach all of those sounds to then the meaning, right, of the words. That's, right. That's yeah. right. So there's the, those circuits in the brain, um, you know, that are activated when you're learning to read. And, and, you know, it's what we call the letter box, the sound box, the meaning box. Um, but that, you know, the, the letter part, th- that's not how we're born. We're not born with that ability to figure out that these visual symbols represent sounds because oral language, we are born with that, as you know, with that capacity to learn oral language. But written language is, it's invented, right? It's, only, it's a couple thousand years old. Um, so this is not how our brain to this point, <laughs> maybe someday in thousands of years will be developed there, but certainly not anytime soon. Uh, so we have to build that part in the brain that then allows you know, us to go from the, the speech sound to the meaning and to map a word. Mm-hmm. I always like using the phrase, children learn to read to then read to learn. Absolutely. And so it is so important that children are able to crack the code to understand what they're reading. And then it just kind of snowballs from there, right? Their vocabulary increases and, and then they can understand what they're reading, understand more complex language, more complex books. And so it's really crucial that during those early years that they really get a good grasp on decoding, encoding, like you were saying, writing in order to then understand, make sense of what of what they're reading. And we see it with our students um, who are struggling. Um, you, you see the effects, right? You see the effects in, in every class that they take in science and math and, and, and math, especially we started about I don't know if it was about 10 years ago, Julie, we started getting kids referred to us because of math. And we thought, what the, what's going on? But it was because these kids were A students in math. And as soon as those word problems and the written problems came in, they, they were failing math. And so the teachers rightfully said, said, it's not, 
it's not the math, it's the language. And so we worked with the math consultant to look at the language that was being used and to try and, you know, help our kids out. But that, that effect is massive. And then, of course, then it's beyond school, right? It's about your whole your whole well-being as a person and, and how successful you may or may not be. It, it goes beyond just being able to write a paragraph for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's one part that when I have discussions with teachers that sometimes it's difficult to, to map language onto math and onto to science for some people. It's just to kind of have a, that shift in the way that we think about how language is just used everywhere. For more information about how language and math are related, I invite listeners to listen to Season 1, Episode 2 of the Parley Podcast, Is It Language, Is It Math, or Is It Both, with Alex Cross. You know, I know I remember I had a, a student who was struggling in art class and it wasn't necessarily her artistic ability. It was just she didn't understand what was being asked of her. You know, it was the instructions that were complex and the vocabulary was all mm-hmm. new. And I said, well, it's, she has a language disorder. So it's the language that's difficult. And, then, you know, as soon as the teacher kind of, she had that aha moment. Well, of course, yes, of course. I never even thought that it was the language part that was causing her issues in the art class. Uh, so just a little, little sidebar there. Um, so you have a new resource that I really want to talk about on this episode called Focus on Phonemic Awareness. So maybe you can tell us about this resource and April is showing me. Um, now, is it publicly available or not yet? I mean, I, I said I would put the links on the show notes, but I just want to make sure it is. Yes, it is. So we have a website. It's called www.focusonphonemicawareness.ca. Um, basically, it's a comprehensive resource that teachers, therapists, and parents can use to screen, teach, and remediate phonemic awareness. That is fantastic. <laughs> I think that at one point on your Facebook page, I forget what the resource you were talking about, and someone had commented, oh, I wish this was available in French. So <laughs> if ever, you know, you find a group of speech and language pathologists who want to help translate in French, and, and if you need some help with translating, I know myself and my colleague are always um, willing to help. But okay, so maybe tell us a little bit more about, um, about how this resource can be used. So it can be used by parents, teachers um, to screen. Is that what you said, Julie? So, so you can use it to, to, there's a screening tool in the, um, a comprehensive screening tool for six tasks. So blending, isolating, segmenting, deleting, substituting, and reversing sounds all at the sound level. There's nothing at the syllable level in this. Um, there's not the phonological awareness, just the phonemic awareness. So we've included a screening tool for each of those six tasks. Um, We've included actually two versions, one which is for your individual student and one where you can document the screening um, of multiple students on the same form. Of course, the kids are screened screened individually. Then we've included tracking sheets that you can use. And there is a tracking sheet that can be used, a version for individual students and one for a group up to 25 students on that one double-sided sheet of paper. And we know that tracking where a child is, their starting point is so important because we want to go up along the hierarchy of tasks, making sure we're not jumping, um, you know, over critical steps, not going from, you know, uh, uh, something, an easier task on the hierarchy to one of the most challenging And then what we have is our hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of words for each um, level of the hierarchy for each of these tasks. We've also put together uh, parent information pages so that uh, if teachers or therapists can then educate the parent on how to work on phenemic awareness at home. And we have word lists that parents and teachers can send home, um, or sorry, teachers and therapists can send home with families. And what is the age range typically that we would be using this um, on? So it's, you know, it really, um, we wouldn't say an age range in the sense that we can have 
um, typically developing kids, you know, all of our kids are going to benefit from phonemic awareness training, as we know. Um, and then you can have a student who's one of the ones you were talking about, Chantel, who's at quite a deficit. So, you know, if I think in terms of our private practices, uh, you know, myself, I have kids ranging from six to 14 years old, and I'm using the same resource for them. So it's really not based on age, but where, you know, um, sort of what their awareness is of the sounds and words. And so that's why we start at the very first level of the hierarchy for each of the tasks and go all the way to the most advanced level within um, single syllable words. And I like that you mentioned that because the question that I often hear is what about uh, children who don't speak English as their first language? And so what do we do about phonemic awareness with those kids? Where do we start? And so I like that, you know, you, you just go by the hierarchy. What do they need to know and build on that um, all the while trying to get them to learn the vocabulary, the English vocabulary um, at the same time. So I do like that you mentioned it's not, you know, for six to eight year olds only. It's, it's wherever you are, or the child is um, on the continuum of, of those competencies. Because that's what it's all about. It's about filling in each individual student's individual gaps. So that's what makes it so easy to use in, in classrooms and small groups and one-on-one. -on -one. You could target, um, you can meet your student where they are using the tracking sheet, as April mentioned, and all of our word lists that break it down for you like that. So it makes it really user-friendly for, for people to use. We have included in it as well a description of the articulatory gestures because we know that, um, you know, we wanted this to be as, uh, we call it like as tight a resource, but also as research-based. And so we, we really, um, you know, have really looked at the research as to, you know, the benefits of kids knowing about how those sounds are produced in the mouth and what parts of their mouth are being used and how that feels and um, not only how it sounds, but all of the other features of those um, phonemes. Um, so we've included that. We've also included a, a, quite a section on um, how to implement the use of graphemes or the letters and letter combinations in your phonemic awareness training, because we know like the National Reading Panel says when possible, you should include um, the graphemes as well. So we have uh, included a section that gives you ideas on how to do that as well. And I like how on your Facebook group, you also demonstrate how these sounds are produced, you know, the contrast between vowels and consonants and consonants that can be stretched out, consonants that more of that explosion. So, um, you know, you have all of those visuals as well that could probably be very helpful for, for some parents or teachers out there. Now, um, when you were talking about word lists in your resource, can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, word walls? So I know that traditionally, you know, there would be um, word walls, any word that starts with the letter L would kind of be under the letter L, but I know that there's been a shift um, rather to use sound walls. Uh, so I know that this is kind of off topic, but I just was reminded of that. So can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? So exactly what you mentioned, um, traditionally word walls, you have the letter listed and then words written underneath that have that first letter. So um, under the letter T, you may have the word toad, but you may also have the word that. And when you say those two words out loud, you realize that, oh, they don't start with the same sound. So a young child who's beginning to, to read or spell, who wants to write that word and is looking up at the word wall trying to find, well, I want to write the word that, it starts with and they're looking around, they're not going to look under the letter T that says T. They're not looking for tat, they're looking for that. And so that's why a word wall isn't your most effective tool. A sound wall is. Yeah, and thank you for explaining that. And I think it's just, again, like I was saying, it's sometimes just about changing the way we look at things. So you already have a, a word wall. So it's just a matter of, of moving the words around so that they correspond to the sound instead of the, the letter. So I like That's that. Great. And we've, we've been able in our school board to really um, do a lot of education with our teachers about sound walls. And we're seeing them in a lot of our classrooms, even, even through this crazy last year. I mean, our teachers have embraced this like crazy. Um, also, when we've been home, uh, working from home, they've been using our digital sound walls. 
Um, and so the sound walls, uh, you know, they're they're organized based on the speech sound and and the speech sounds that are produced in a similar manner are grouped together. And then the graphemes or the letters are written underneath. And it's amazing how um, I think as speech language pathologists, we take for granted that everybody has this knowledge. Mm-hmm. And when we're teaching and, you know, giving demonstrations in the classrooms about sound walls, a lot of time our teachers are learning just as much as our students and our students are a little more flexible when they're thinking about sounds. We have teachers who've worked so hard at this, but still don't hear that the word stop has four sounds. They still hear it as three. And it's, you know, the kids are, I find much more flexible. You know, they can listen to a sound and say, oh, that's a, that's a stretchy sound or that's a nasal nose sound. And, and they're a little more flexible and they're thinking about, um, about that. So it's been a really interesting journey with our teachers uh, because I do think as speech language pathologists, like our, our brain just, we naturally think in this way in terms of sounds. And in fact, one of the in-services that we give our teachers is called thinking in sounds and it's to help them make that shift from think, thinking in letters to thinking in sounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so you talked a little about um, how in the Ontario curriculum right now, it is not necessarily based on the science of reading. And so, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that for the most part, it's based on balanced literacy, right? Um, Can you just, without getting into too many details, can you maybe tell us what the difference is between the two? Okay, so the science of reading is um, really, as we know, um, it's not, uh, it's looking at how kids learn to read. So it's really just going right down to what, what does imaging show us what's happening in the brain? You can't argue that, right? Like it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not something we can argue. It's, it's, you know, it's just the way it is. So a balanced literacy approach really, you know, if we think decades and decades ago, um, you know, we went to whole language, which was really just like give a child a book. And as long as they're immersed in um, you know, language rich environment, they'll become literate. And we know, of course, that was, um, that failed for, you know, about 50% of our kids, that's, or 40% of our kids, that was a failure. Um, so balanced literacy, it, it has a little more of that font, you know, a little bit of more of the word awareness, but not so much. So it's really looking at, um, using meaning, to to read so it's encouraging strategies that actually are the strategies poor readers use so we're not really looking so much at the features of the the word and thinking about the sounds they're thinking about that text in general using leveled books and we know that leveled books are not controlled for phonics patterns or word length or complexity but looking at just deriving meaning so you know, if we think about that simple view of reading, which is states that reading comprehension is a product of decoding or language comprehension, it's really taking out the decoding part of that. <laughs> and it's trying to achieve reading comprehension just by really putting more of a focus on the language comprehension. For more information on the simple view of reading, if you go to the show notes at theparleypodcast.com, you will find a link to a patent snippet. So it's a five-minute video that explains, and patent is the Pennsylvania Training and Technical Assistance Network. So be sure to check that out. It's really worth your while. Okay, thank you for that. And I think with the balanced literacy approach, they, they it does touch on on phonics. Um, however, it's done implicit, implicitly. You know, it's sprinkled here and there. It, you, you you teach a pattern as it comes up on that day, but it's not set out step by step, one sound and one spelling at a time. And that's what a structured approach to literacy should look like. Another great resource on structured literacy is Osla's Oral Language at Your Fingertips resource, which can be found on the Osla website, osla.on.ca. And uh, we've actually partnered up with Osla, and they are offering a discount to our listeners. You just have to enter the promo code PODCAST, all caps, to get your 15% discount. And this resource is available in both French and English. You can check out the show notes for more details. Um, so this reminds me actually of the um, Ontario Human Rights Commission 
so there is a group that is working on uh, well, what, what's called the Right to Read, um, which is a public inquiry into human rights issues affecting students with reading disabilities and just trying to, to maybe look at how the curriculum is designed with the Ministry of Education um, and perhaps bring on the change towards the science of reading. So um, I know that they are talking about releasing a report sometime in the fall 2021. So um, I can put the link to that in the show notes, but do um, look out for that because this report, I think, will will touch base on a lot of what we're talking about tonight. Sure. So we're all speech and language pathologists here. I think, April, you said at the very beginning, um, and, and even you, Julie, that we weren't necessarily trained on how to assess reading exhaustively, how to intervene. So what is the speech and language pathologist's role in all of this? If we're, if we're looking at um, a psychologist's role, speech and language pathologist's role, teacher's role, where, where does the speech pathologist fit? Well, as speech and language pathologists, um, you know, referring back to what April was mentioning about the simple view of reading, and we think about that equation, um, it's oral language times decoding equals reading comprehension. And as speech language pathologists, we really have a big part to play with both the decoding portion and the oral language portion. We have a lot to add um, in terms of assessment, treatment, consulting on both sides of those equations. And I think that you know, part of the, the more that I got to learn about, you know, uh, how the brain learns to read and how, um, you know, the brains, like, it's not like this one brain learns to read this way and this person's brain, you know, really that the process is the same. It, we really relied on assessing, um, areas that are not so, (laughs) so linked to that word level reading. And so there was a lot of assessment going on to visual processing and visual memory. And and that really goes back to where where and how we thought those words were stored in the brain, right? But then as we get to learn how they're actually processed and how they're stored, it makes sense that the speech-language pathologist is really at the crux of this, looking at the sound system um, to, to know whether or not that sound system is, is you know, up and running well. Uh, are there gaps in the phonemic awareness and, and the phonics? Of course, phonics is going to be based on what a child's been taught explicitly to some extent. Um, but it really makes sense for it for the word level reading for it to be the speech language pathologist uh, because, you know, it's us and all of us here who have that training in the sound system and we're doing it, you know, our, our best, we're really working at training our teachers as well, uh, but they've got a lot on their plates. Um, they've got heaps on their plates. So in terms of the assessment, it, it makes sense that it's the SLP doing it. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the speech and language pathologist or, or a student who wants to become a speech and language pathologist, that goes way back into even the linguistics courses that we have to take. Those are prerequisites to get into the That's master's right. program. So it's really um, an integral part of, of our training. So for sure. And I think it's, again, making that shift. Um, speech and language pathologists have the, the training, the expertise and, and that ability to really perceive words by how they sound. Um, and it's kind of becomes instinctual. <laughs> um, I remember when we first started to learn about the sound system, it's like every word you, you hear or read after, it's, it's just all sound, 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 sounds. <laughs> but um, yeah, for sure. And then we forget or don't, you don't like understand how different it is for people who don't necessarily think that way. And I, I use this example all the time. My older sister is a kindergarten teacher. She's a phenomenal kindergarten teacher. She, she's got it going on. Those kids leave learning how to, you know, they're reading and she does an amazing job, but she was doing one year her master's research and she had to do her um, final paper. And I was coming home for the summer. We're home is Nova Scotia. And I said, Oh, do it on phonemic awareness. I'll help you. It's going to be great. And you know, as we were going through it and I was helping her, she kept making mistakes about letters versus sounds. So she would say, oh, no, the word the word boat has four sounds. And she was thinking about letters. And and even her, you know, she has a, a really good grasp on the language system. And she has a, a sister who's a speech language pathologist. 
it took a lot. And, and, you know, because she's my sister, I could give her a whack every time she made a mistake. And I was whacking her a lot because it was really hard for her to make that transition to thinking in terms of sound. So the, the, the sooner we can get this into our teachers' colleges, um, the better. This is what needs to happen. Our, our teachers' programs need to, to get speech-language pathologists in teaching these courses, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm watching the time. Uh, it is going by very, very quickly. Um, so other than your, your resource, the Facebook page, the Kilpatrick book essentials, are there any other resources that you would recommend as a starting point for, for teachers or parents or, or even speech and language pathologists who, who haven't been trained on the science of reading and literacy and really want to know more about this? So we have many favorite books um, that we that we like, such as Uncovering um, the Logic of English, um, The Knowledge Gap, Understanding and Teaching Reading Comprehension, Speech to Print. There are tons of really great resources um, out there available um, at your fingertips. Um, one of the other things that, that I'll mention in terms of um, continuing education, it w- it'll be two years ago in October that Julie and Tiffany and I drove down to Syracuse to the Reading League's um, symposium uh, presentation. It was really funny because this was really the beginning of our journey two years ago in October. And Julie, because we always listen to Julie, she said, we're going to be presenting here one day. We're going to present. And in fact, um, we're presenting this October at the, the Reading League. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. It's it's virtual this year, but we, you know, our, our presentation has long since been um, sent in. And that, if you have the opportunity, and, and I think many more people will have the opportunity right now because it is virtual, and it's actually much more cost um, efficient this way. Uh, it was, it was, you know, it was a, a cost for us each to do it, but we knew it was worth it in terms of our career and our knowledge base. Um, but it's a fantastic um, uh, wealth of <laughs> information. And it was interesting because when we went two years ago, every, you know, we sort of did a divide and conquer. We'll go to different things and get the information. And everyone was speaking of Dr. Kilpatrick and everyone was talking about, you know, it was the same message with everybody's um, little niche on it, if we can say that. So if you have that opportunity, and again, it is virtual this year, I would highly recommend that people, um, uh, you know, pay to, to join virtually. And there's also the Reading League website where you can purchase webinars and usually they're about $10 US and you have them there in your account. You can watch them and rewatch them and it comes with the PDF. I know that they've launched a a podcast recently called Teaching, Reading and Learning, the podcast. And there is an episode with Dr. Kilpatrick. I haven't had the opportunity to listen to it. Working from home, I don't uh, spend as much time in my car. So my my podcast listening days have uh, gone out the door, but I'll be able to get back on that. Um, and then I also um, recommend the Science of Reading, the podcast on Amplify. And uh, because this is the 20th anniversary of the Scarborough's Reading Rope, they kind of really took many of the elements of the Reading Rope and created an episode for each of those elements. So those are also good starting points. But uh, when is the virtual conference October 13th. Okay. So it's coming up. It is. It is. Yes. And um, it's uh, another thing that I'll mention, and it's, um, you know, for educators, there is the letters course. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, Chantel, but it's, um, it's a course and it was, um, it's written by Louisa Motes Mm -hmm. and by Carol Tolman. And it's a, a two year course uh, Julie and Tiffany and I just have finished our first year of it. You, you work sort of at your pace. We're working, um, you know, virtually doing it. Uh, you work at your, your pace and it's all um, centered around that speech to um, uh, speech to, to the print, you know, going from the letter to the sound, sound to letter. And so it has a lot of fantastic um, information in terms of, 
phonemic awareness and phonics and speech sounds and and morphological um, awareness and such. So it's uh, mm-hmm. etymology. It's 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 a, a fantastic course. It's a big commitment, but um, we're certainly all really enjoying it. And is this for speech language pathologists, teachers, or is it just for speech and language pathologists? I think it's it's mostly geared towards teachers, but okay. anybody anybody can can learn. We learn something every day. I just did a unit yesterday, and I was uh, really excited to, to, to do some new learning. So it's it's awesome. Okay. Um, I also mentioned at the very beginning the uh, advanced literacy practice course that the um, Provincial Association Oslo offers every couple years or so. So that one too is is um, worth your while. It's not two years; it's only um, you know four months. Um, but there there are a lot of resources out there. I think that it's becoming more and more readily available. Thankfully. Um, is there anything else? Is there any, um, you know, closing remarks or any take-home messages that you really want to get out there for our listeners? Uh, so the one thing that, you know, in terms of, mainly in terms of teachers, but I think also in terms of us as professionals, we, we gave a present, uh, presentation today on decodable books. And I, someone wrote in our chat box, I feel so badly about what I've been doing. And we get that a lot from our teachers. We, we get like guilt, like I, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and our message to them is be like really gentle with yourselves, because first of all, you're following the curriculum as it's outlined. The other thing is you were not taught it. And the main thing is that you move forward, right? So any change you can make um, that's going to, to help your children learn how to read, you know, going from a word wall to a sound wall is a massive change or, or looking at the text um, and making sure something is decodable or, or having a, a scope and sequence for your phonics instruction. It's really important, but I think people need to be gentle with themselves. Our educators need to be gentle with themselves and, and not hold that guilt because we, we, we actually get that a lot. And even myself, like if I look back to my reports from five years ago, how I was talking about literacy, you know, I'm almost embarrassed <laughs> from what I've now learned and, and what I now do, but that's, that's my journey. And so, you know, we always like to, to go back to Maya Angelou, when you know better, you do better to paraphrase her. And, and that's for all of us, for SLPs and for teachers and administrators, as long as we make that commitment to, to take a forward movement, um, so that would be my advice. Julie, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so I just want to end by saying that I am extremely optimistic about the future of reading instruction in Ontario. Change is coming, and that is being spearheaded by the right to read, but also by the fact that so many educators, speech language pathologists, and parents are excited about the science of reading. What gets us so excited is that once you align your teaching practices with the reading brain, then you really cannot deny the results. So going forward, our mission has always been to give educators the knowledge on how you are going to teach word-level reading, but more importantly, why. Having the knowledge behind why you are using certain strategies or materials to build the reading brain is an educator's greatest tool. We talked a bit about decodable books, and I know that there are some great websites out there. Some are free for the time being, I believe. Um, Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of uh, flyleafpublishing.com. So uh, check those out. There are a few that are free, as a matter of fact, for decodable books. And I don't think they're typically free, but I think given Mm -hmm. uh, the state of affairs in the world with COVID, that um, publishing companies have been really generous and have made those sites free. So if you actually um, go to the Reading League website, you can deco- you can Google, sorry, um, Reading League Decodable Books. It, they give you a resource of their um, recommended decodable books. Now, some of them you have to pay for and some of them are free. Uh, Fly Life, Fly Leaf, I'm sorry, as you mentioned, is one of the um, titles, but there are quite a few. And, and you know, I think in, in our private practices, we tap into those a lot mm-hmm. um, to use those decodable books online virtually. So there, there's a lot of there. People have been generous for sure the past uh, year and a half. The, the silver lining of the pandemic. <laughs> 
Well, we have to find something. And for us, it's been, you know, we, we don't take it for granted. Mm-hmm. We it really everything lined up for us in terms of new administration mm-hmm. and then be, being stuck at home. And we had, um, you know, our team of Julie, Tiffany and myself, and we have two other SLP colleagues uh, who are on board with us. They're just not as loud as us. <laughs> and um, we took advantage and we we pushed for it. And it's why our school board is in, in the situation it is right now. We are we have teachers who will not go back. You know, it, there's no mm-hmm. pendulum swing, right? It's it's done. The pendulum has stopped. We we know how kids learn to read. So there's mm-hmm. no more swinging. You can't unlearn that. <laughs> can't unlearn that. That's right. Well, thank you very much. Um, and also, you know, thank you to K- Tiffany, who who is not able to be here with you tonight. But I know that it was the three of you who really um, pushed forward with this and and thank you I think that it is very inspiring there's a lot of information on your Facebook group um, and now this resource that is um, available again check out the show notes at the polypodcast.com for all of those links we've talked about so many different resources books um, websites so thank you so much um, and I hope that you have a, a wonderful school year hopefully in person for the duration and uh, we will definitely look or, or watch for your. So, is it a, um, a, a one-hour workshop that you're giving at the Reading League conference, or what exactly is the format of it? So, it's um, a presentation. We had uh, Dr. Pam Kastner had yes. asked us to present at her open mic night. And we actually did that twice. And um, Dr. Maria Murray, who is the president of the Reading League, came on on the second night. And just before we went on, she she said, stay afterward and, you know, maybe you'll come talk for us. And so uh, that's an hour and a half, I think. And it's really us talking about how we're trying to make this change in our school board and the change we have made, but how we're doing it. Um, we, we call it a grassroots movement. We're going from the bottom up because it was not something that our administrators, um, it didn't come from curriculum uh, or the ministry or administrators. We decided we just can't ignore it. We need to go forward. And um, so we, we, you know, did our best to make the change that way. So that's um, what will be the focus of that um, presentation in October with the Reading League. Okay, and the one, the open mic, I think the link to that is available on your Facebook group, is it not? Okay. Yes, it is. It is. And we'll give it to you to post it onto here. Right. Yeah. Because I think that uh, any speech and language pathologists who are listening or, or, you know, even teachers who want to get this started, I think you gave a lot of really great tips on on how you can start something from from the ground up, from the the grassroots and, and bring it up to the teachers, right. the administrators to make that change. So um, why reinvent the wheel? You, you've been through it and, and it's been very successful. So uh, congratulations to the three of you. And again, thank you very much um, for being a guest on this podcast. And I wish you the best of luck at the conference and um, during this academic year. Thank you. Thank you. Now, before I sign off, I just wanted to invite the listeners to once again check out the show notes at theparleypodcast.com. So the school services um, interest group from the Ontario Association of Speech-Language Pathologists and Audiologists have come together with the help of speech-and-language pathologists from Ontario as well as researchers to put a presentation together Uh, to talk about the Ontario Human Rights Inquiry on the right to read. And so speech pathologists have been considering how best to support implementation of the report recommendations once this report will be released. Um, On the Parley Podcast show notes, you will find links. These are Google Slides as well as a presentation guide. Um, And you'll also find this information in both French and English. So be sure to check out the Parley podcast show notes to find all of these great resources and much, much more. Thanks again.